Welcome back to the Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast presented by Gunblade Guys. We're your hosts, Tyler and Nate. I'm Tyler. And I am Nate. This is season two, where we're covering Final Fantasy VII Remake and its equivalent content in the original release. Today, we're getting into chapter four, for which there is lots and lots of content in both the original and the remake. Isn't that right, Nate? That's a dirty lie. What? There is no content in the original for chapter four. There is no content in the original. You wake up after sleeping on a pipe and you set off to do your next bombing mission. But last time we talked, we had a little proposition side job from good old Jesse, and that never happened in OG Final Fantasy VII. And we're going to find out what that's all about today. Nate, how are we doing, man? So last time we talked about Street Fighter VI, how I bought it, and it was coming out soon, right? Mm-hmm. And I've spent a sizable amount of time with the game now. I've played the World Tour mode. What's that? It's a mode where you run around the city of... Metro City. Metro City. Yes, from the Final Fight series, also by Capcom. It's just completely absurd. Like, there's no way to take this seriously. When you think of Pokemon and how you're running around the world of Pokemon and nobody has any other conversations other than about Pokemon, that's the only one thing that (laughs) consumes all thought in the world of Pokemon. Think of that, but with street fighting. Everything revolves around fighting on the street. There are bankers who get done with their job. They tie their neckties around their head and start brawling in the streets. You'll just be running by trying to finish your quest and a banker will sucker punch you in the back of the head and you have to fight them. My crowning moment was when a group of gangsters in a back alley were trying to chase me down and I'm like, you know, I'm going to, Turn around, I'm going to get the jump on them. So I did a spinning bird kick. I missed them, and I hit a man eating a hot dog at a hot dog stand. And he proceeded to kick the ever-living shit out of me because he was level 30, and I was, like, level 12. So I just I laughed the whole time. I loved it. But uh, I just have to say, the game's amazing. I put, like, 200 matches into online. To get in on the ground floor early <laughs> when... The game is still the Wild West where the meta hasn't solidified itself quite yet and people are still figuring things out. I love playing online games when that's the case where people aren't just regurgitating guides they read or watched on YouTube or pressing the three best buttons to press in succession over and over. I like it when everyone's experimenting and living truly free as themselves and not as anyone else kicking the living shit out of one another i'll say check the end of our episode here for more street fighter thoughts from me Mm -hmm. he nerds out pretty hard in my case i'm i can't believe that my daughter's turning one on saturday and i also can't believe i'm going to go see the cure on in two days from now on thursday i like i knew i was obsessed nate but i had a dream that i visited robert smith last night uh, that's the singer, primary songwriter, and the iconic frontman of The Cure. And it's like, I'm becoming unbearable. I'm not going to gush like uh, I kind of want to, but it's 
it's it's getting pretty serious right now. I feel like I'm going to burst any second. Crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. I'm honestly having a second advent with their music, I'll, even though I didn't even think that was possible. But anyways, that's what I'm looking forward to this week. It's action-packed. So I've said enough about The Cure, but I've also got my daughter, you know, turning one on Saturday. And we've got a party that we're going to have. My mom's uh, flying in from Arizona. If the weather holds up, I think we'll have a really good time. So... But anyways, uh, yeah, that's what's going on in my life. Shall we get into chapter four, Nate? The first shot of the chapter is, almost said Vix again, Biggs and Wedge walking motorcycles towards Cloud and Jesse who are having, uh, who are in the middle of a conversation. And I think it's Biggs that kind of read a subtext that Jesse was going to slip away with Cloud to the plate, and he's brought vehicles to assist in that as perhaps an invitation to let himself and Wedge join them on this secret mission that they're going on tonight that Baird probably doesn't know about. Indeed. Biggs mentions that he could tell something was off with Jesse and that she probably wanted to go home and visit her mom. And that was kind of his impetus for saying, hey, you're going to need our help. You're going to need bikes. And, you know, I have a lot of questions because, well, the first would be, what was the plan for getting there when it was just Jesse and Cloud? Did she did she have something set up for that? That's a good question. We're never really told. Were we going to hoof it or what? One of the two characters, probably Jesse, pointed out that the last train has already departed. We're going to go the conventional way. Maybe there's just motorcycles up for grabs everywhere. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> and she was going to eventually find one regardless. Because it seems like you get to the point where you're passing through the ID checkpoint, as they explained in a previous chapter, how that all works. And everything seems prepared. So, you know, for the narrative of Big showing up and he's kind of saving our asses on this one with the bikes, it's like, it feels like this was always going to be what was happening one way or the other. So when you saw the bikes, you knew what was coming, right? Gosh, did I the first time I played it? I probably had a thought. I didn't, I wouldn't say I know, but I probably had a thought about it. My immediate thought was like, okay, okay we're going to get one, maybe two extra bike mini game uses because you make a bike mini game uh where you're riding a motorcycle slashing at troops you make that mini game in 1995 six seven and it costs so many resources to put those pieces together and make them work right but you make that that mini game in the 2015 or yeah it's probably around like 2015 2016 that they were working on this uh and it's like that's going to require so many resources to put all those moving pieces together in the modern gaming era that they're like, we're going to milk <laughs> this bike sequence for all it's worth. So I was expecting a total of three bike minigames uh, throughout the uh, course of this game. And we'll see if we get three, but this is our first that we're about to embark on. Yes. The first inkling I got where, hey, this ain't like original was probably... Well, probably was at the end of the previous chapter where we kind of seeded this other thing we might be going on to. Oh, and also receiving an Ifrit Materia. Neither here nor there. Yes. So before we get into the main engagement here along the the bike mission, we have a little bit of a moment between Jesse and Cloud where Jesse tells Cloud that, 
you know, she went along with the boy's assumptions about, oh, she's just going up topside to see her mom. But really, she has her own secret mission and she's going to clue in Cloud here. And throughout this mission, we're going to hear her like narration in our head of what the real mission is as we're kind of doing it on the backside. But she's so distraught over this reactor explosion and her perception that she made the bomb wrong and everything that she wants to go get a new blasting agent in order to um, make sure she makes it right this time and she doesn't cause the amount of destruction she did previously. When you circle back to talking about Jesse before the action actually begins, what we're really here to do is to uh, steal a weaker blasting agent from a Shinra warehouse depot. Cloud didn't know that he was going to be uh, sneaking into a Shinra warehouse depot tonight, but that's what it takes to get the limited explosion, explosive reagent uh, that Jesse needs. Anyways, we're off, and so we climb into our bikes, Biggs and Wedge are on one, and Cloud is driving another one, and of course Jesse is bear-hugging him uh, as they zoom up the spiral highway. What's it called? The, the corkscrew turnpike? Something like that. Anyways, if you can imagine Midgar, the central pillar that holds up well, the Shinra building in the center of the pie, has a highway that winds up and down it so you can get from the plate back down to the ground level where the slums are. Corkscrew tunnel. I think that's what it's called. The train has a has a line like that too, but there's a highway we're learning about. And anyways, um, so we're zooming up it. There are no conventional residential cars at all on this highway this time of night. You might say that's a contrivance for the minigame we're about to embark on. I think the whole thing is the the railway. I don't think there's a separate highway. This is the train tracks we're riding along. Now, it's a magnetic rail, it looks like, but it's definitely not meant for cars from the footage I'm looking at. Let me pan through to see if it transitions to a different area. Yeah, even when... Even when you go to the section that opens up into like the open air, the upper city, you're still kind of riding alongside train tracks. No kidding. The whole way. Huh. This setting is quite bland. Um, just producing the same hallway at the same curvature. It's lore appropriate, but it's kind of a boring set piece for you to do your motorcycle shenanigans on because in the original you had these twisting roads and dips and uphills and sights to see surrounding you and everything so out of necessity i get that they couldn't do too much here and it does open up a bit later but that the setting for me was a little bit of like oh this is our first bike mission i want to see the spectacle of midgar i want to be racing down the streets of midgar that would be sick man do you have a favorite video game chase sequence at all tyler favorite video game chase sequence do you have any <laughs> i might with a vehicle specifically yes yes specifically with a vehicle i guess that's what i've always heard them referred to as is like if i'm if you like hop into a car and it's not like GTA open world, do whatever you want. It's like a scripted on rails, dodge stuff. You're getting shot at. You're going through set oh, pieces. Oh, sure, sure. That um, th I've heard those referred to as chase. Okay. Sequences. Okay. In that context, I'm, I can't believe I'm gravitating to this, but shadows of the empire on N64 has a chase sequence where dash Rendar mm. is on a land speeder. Which is like a which is like a motorbike, and they are going through uh, the canyons of Tatooine, including like 
piercing through the eye of a needle at the end of the sequence. Um, meanwhile, Tusken Raiders and other bandit types are chasing you and shooting at you with lasers um, from their own motorcycle hover speeders. And, uh, and I remember that being a pretty exciting chase sequence for me. Oh, yeah. That's pretty good. I think they go through Beggar's Canyon. Yeah, that's right? it. I couldn't remember the location, <laughs> but I think you're right about that. Yeah. For me, uh, the perfect chase sequence, the best one I've ever played, is in Uncharted 4. I'll just say it's it's just absolutely crazy. You get into like a Jeep or some SUV equivalent or whatever, and uh, you plow through an entire city just to get the fuck out of there as you're being chased by tanks and other trucks and people at certain points you're like hanging by a rope being dragged through mud the graphics are just splattering like what's the word like procedurally generated mud all over based on where you're going that's mm. it's just incredible looking and the whole time it's just non-stop even even there's like slight laws where it's like slow down turn here you know and as soon as you you think oh yeah we lost them like a tank will bust through a wall and start chasing you or, or i think it's like a big truck with like a gatling gun oh, on sure, it or something okay. and you're like you're like fuck let's go you know and it's just I, I think I want to say it's like 10, 15 minutes of nonstop action. I'd have to look that up to see if it actually lasts that long. But I just remember being like floored of like, this doesn't end. They built this whole city just for me to drive my ass through every wall and every street corner and house <laughs> and plow right through it. Mm -hmm. Actually, I thought it of another one. Amazing. This, this one is more in line with your extraordinary experience. That makes my Shadows of the okay. Empire one sound kind of grim or lame. Uh, 007 Agent Under Fire. I don't even remember what system it was for. Maybe PlayStation 2. Which is, it, it's not actually modeled after a actual James Bond game. It's its own story. But anyways, there is a chase sequence where it's you're in Bucharest, Romania. It's nighttime and you're, you are fleeing the city on a sports car. Meanwhile, um, helicopters with machine guns are chasing you down through the streets. And you're using your Q gadgetry to to flee them and destroy them from the ground to the air and, and other belligerents around the ground as well. Eventually you hop out of that and hop into a tank and the second half of the chase is where, where you can actually turn around, dig your heels in and, and uh, <laughs> issue some firepower back, let's say. Um, so I'm going to, mm. I'm going to put that one on the record as well. All right. Getting back to remake here. We have these IDs. We're zooming through and uh, there's going to be a checkpoint. And we pass through them and we celebrate that we pass through them. But, and then I think it's Jesse says, but if they do a scan from here on out, it's all over or they're going to find us, which is exactly what happens. We're immediately taken back to the original, to Final Fantasy VII original, where at the end, at the big climactic end of the bigger section, the gameplay changes similarly like it is right now in Remake, where we hop aboard a motorcycle. It's just Cloud on this one. Um, the rest of the party are in a dorky flatbed truck, also in the, on the same highway, and they're, we're fleeing the Shinra building. 
but that was one of my favorite mini games in all of Final Fantasy VII Original because, of course, you can go back and play the skiing mini game, the bike mini game, the submarine mini game. That one was awful, and this one was the one I always kept coming back to because it was a pulse-pounding, high-energy race against time to slash up as many enemies on the field as you can. Um, Nate, what are your memories of that uh, of FF Originals motorcycle segment? It gives me a lot of anxiety. I've gotten better at it over the years but i remember in my initial outings feeling like there's there's two guys there's three guys they're hitting the truck oh my god i can't get i gotta go get that guy i gotta get you know and like not being particularly good at it too and the controls are a little bit wonky at at times of like there's a if i'm remembering correctly there's a certain level of input lag of like you hit the button but then the slash happens a, a solid like three quarters of a second to a second later. I think you're right about that. And I think that um, the time it takes for Cloud to bring the sword over to one side to hit the enemy on his side is different depending on if it's left or right. I'm not saying that's the case, but that's what I remember because he's he's riding a bike. He's got to have one hand on a more, on a on a handlebar. And the other one, I think, is it either slashes it at the side that the sword is handing or he's got to go up over his spiky ass head to the other side and hit over there as well mm-hmm. in the same stroke. And I don't think that happens at the, with the same amount of time. The thing is, there's there's this like with all older games or our formative games as we were growing up, you didn't really think about any of that stuff when you were playing it because of the rule of cool. <laughs> you were thinking how fucking cool is this this is so cool that i don't care about the controls i don't care if it was frustrating or a little bit wonky or the hit detections off or any of that shit it was just so cool and it was kind of mind-blowing because you know getting into the nintendo 64 slash playstation era saturn for some of you people out there it was some of our first forays into three-dimensional worlds and with this one, it it just felt like it was going on forever. And it was like, how how big is this? What, what have they made here for just this segment, you know? And now you look at it and it's a bunch of like blocks and polygons and you could probably make it yourself in like a couple hours. But, you know, back then that was just mind blowing. And so I think the spectacle of it all still made it as amazing as it could possibly be. Mm hmm. Yeah, a spectacle. It was a spectacle. Now, the snowboarding minigame, that is legit super fun. That's also fun. No complaints about it, even to this day. Do you think we're going to get snowboarding in uh, Rebirth? Oh, man. Um. Well, they gave us the motorcycle minigame already. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to say yeah. I think we will. I wonder if we're going to get all the way to, like, the Northern Cave area in the next century, or if that's going to be part three. We'll find out. Yep. Soon enough. In like six years. In like six years, 60 years. Our children will have to take over because we, we will have died. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there's, we're slipping them into the conversation now. Right, so to give you guys the context, I mean, if you've played it, you've played it, you know what it's like. But if you haven't, it's, uh, this is going back to remake, is the, the music is high energy, it's pounding, it's a techno rocker. Listening to the song makes you feel like you want to step on the gas pedal or whatever the hell motorcycles have. I'm not a motorcycle guy. It's something like a pedal, isn't it? Fuck you guys. Mm. (laughs) And then um, we are waylaid by Shinra forces. These are security guards also on motorcycles, which is the same type of enemy that Cloud is in combat with in the original version of this sequence. And so this is feeling very familiar. And then you attack these guys with the same 
skills that you do with uh, in original where you slash to the left slash to the right with your sword however in remake we've introduced a few more skills you can charge up a bar how does that bar charge up anyways this is it just I think it's time-based i don't think there's unless i'm wrong i don't think there's anything i was doing that was particularly jolting it forward uh-huh. per se sure unless i was just fucking doing the entire thing wrong that could be could be possible you know because i'll say right now i didn't do particularly well in this mini game in the multiple times i've done it and and, you know i don't know maybe i'm just bad at games really oh i did good in this then it felt like i was waiting on waiting on that resource to kind of dispatch some of the enemies that are keeping their distance and some of the aerial ones i was kind of waiting on my ranged attack to do Mm -hmm. its thing so um yeah when these shinra forces show up they are laying on the machine gun onto both our motorcycle and bigs and wedges bigs and wedges motorcycle has a health bar and so there is a bit of a race against well not time but damage um to keep them alive and of course keep yourself alive but you're the one that can actually take these guys down those other skills by the way um so when you charge up that bar probably by time uh, one of the skills is you can do a spinning slash around yourself, which is, I think, a move that I saw in Advent Children, because there was a motorcycle fight in Advent Children near the end. Mm. I think I saw that in Advent Children, the spin move. But then we also have a ranged attack where you can fire a an energy beam a slim kind of vertical looking lance of energy forward. And that's how you take out some of the more distant targets. You have to have full hearts though. Right. That's true. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> You're making a legend of Zelda. <laughs> I'm just agreeable. Yeah. It's funny. That's a good gag. It isn't just an ass pull move though. Cloud has an ability in OG called blade beam. Oh, yeah. I did not even think about that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Since limit breaks have been relegated to just ATB abilities, we can make that leap here, too. Mm. He's got blade beam. He's got blade beam. It is a blade beam. Eventually, we've got different kinds of enemies. We have drones that show up, and they have these big um, electricity fields that they'll set out in front of them. And so that is an invitation from the game for you to dodge out of the way or hit the brake. We probably don't want to hit the brake, but these guys, they do get in your face, and you have to get out of the way. But that said, all the damage that we take, whether it's from the drones or the security guards or the more advanced security guards, which we will eventually run into, it didn't really feel like I was in any real danger, personally. This goes on for a few minutes, and it's an action-packed, exciting few minutes. After a few waves of these enemies, um, we get a, a brief vision of somebody else who's just kind of idling at the side of the corkscrew tunnel. Yeah, Tyler, we attract the attention of a charismatic motorcycle enthusiast. Insane person. Yes. And more importantly, an active soldier, all caps member. He says, uh, Splendid. I've been looking for a new dance partner. Seems that lawbreaking is not what this guy's interest in us. It's the possibility of a legit rival 
Yeah, he's an adrenaline junkie. His name is Roche. He comes on the scene. He does some sick bike flips and spins almost as if the 1200 pound monstrosity that he's got between his legs is like a skateboard to him and he's rodney mullen he could ride in cursive with this bike yes he's extremely agile on this bike in like i don't know if this is a manifestation of the mako cells uh, that he's injected with in the same way that they're injected into cloud where his hand-eye coordination is like godly but he is that good at his at his motorcycle that he can do pretty much anything with it like a ballerina with their streamers you know that they're waving around or whatever he's just waving the spike around but you know what it gives more context to things we saw in advent children again you were talking about people fighting in the air and doing sick flips and everything it's like it kind of makes me think now that what we were seeing in advent children that if you become a member of soldier You have to take an elective of bike flipping 101 (laughs) because they all can do it. They they all can uh, flip their bikes around. We've seen Cloud do it. We've seen they were a member of Soldiers, but we've seen in some other uh, zesty boys flipping their bikes in Advent Children as well. And uh, it, it seems like it's just a it's part of the soldier DNA is they give you your first bike. And then, you know, by the end of the week, you got to be able to do a like spin it between your legs otherwise you're out cloud has an honest to god quote at the beginning of this sequence where he says that all people in soldier are trained in driving a motorcycle Mm, yeah you do know how to drive right soldiers get mandatory training there's also another really pertinent quote that comes from actually a nobody in here just a random soldier is that when this guy shows up the other soldiers are like break off before he gets here essentially they are scared shitless of this guy forgive the confusion here on audio because i can't all caps my mouth but if you're a shinra soldier and a member of soldier shows up (laughs) you would think yay we've got backup great but these guys are scared of him and why is that because he's an insane person because when he shows up he starts slam dunking his own (laughs) troops for no fucking reason they don't call him an ex-soldier he's a soldier soldier but he's slaying these grunts anyways doesn't make any sense murdering a shinra security force on a bike is just cheap thrills it's like it's like a vampire feeding on a rat like it like it's surviving but it's not going to give you what you need and there's a weird meta commentary here that the Soldiers have reached such heights, they're of so much value to the greater Shinra machine that even being a part of the Shinra machine itself, you're still nothing if you're not one of these guys. You're still a disposable little peon in light of what some of their greater heights have achieved, I guess, when it comes to warfare. Now, there's, there's a couple things I'll note about him before we move on, and then we'll, we'll hit the ground running hard here. I think it's insinuating or said somewhere that he is a third-class soldier, whereas we've heard Cloud say he's first-class. And um, it's interesting because in the game Crisis Core, we've seen the delineation between classes, and what that's exp- shown to be is just you get a different colored sleeveless turtleneck, when you move up classes cannot be serious yeah but i'm say i'm seeing him he looks like he's wearing a mixture of generic soldier armor and the soldier outfit so i'm getting a little maybe it's a little bit of a retcon here that a third class 
they don't get their turtleneck yet. You earn your turtleneck when you get to first class <laughs> because he's got he's got kind of a mix going on. He still has the soldier symbol belt on his him, but his shoulder pads are more of the generic troop shoulder pads. I know that in Crisis Core we meet Genesis and Angel, but I haven't played that game to its end. And so this is pretty much my first experience meeting another soldier. Because in original, he's the only other soldier you meet minus Sephiroth. There are actual soldier members in uh, the original. They're just random battle guys. Oh, where do you fight them? The first encounter with a soldier member in original Final Fantasy VII, I believe, is in the Shinra building before you leave Midgar. You can steal the sword Hard Edge from one of them. And it's a sword you can completely miss. But is the canonical sword that cloud is wielding when he's riding his motorcycle when you escape from midgar because in the manual character art it shows cloud on a motorcycle and he is not wielding the buster sword he's wielding the hard edge so how would he have that he stole it from a soldier member on their way out of the shinra tower dude you're blowing me away right now i did not know that at all does it have any like good stats on it or like special amount of materia spots let me uh Let me look it up here. Let's see. Hard edge. The hard edge can be attained in the Shinra building with the steel material stolen from soldier third class enemies. This allows the weapon to be acquired much earlier than otherwise and means the player can forego purchasing the weaker mithril saber. Uh, The hard edge can later be purchased for 1500 gil from Gungaga. Wow. Which is quite a ways out there. Yeah. I think second class soldiers are... I'm almost certain this is wrong, but I'm getting just a a flash in my head that they're in a much later scene where you don't actually get to play as Cloud and you're escaping a certain area as your party members are taken prisoner. Hmm. I think there's second class soldiers there. And then I think in the final mission in Midgar, you know spoilers whatever there's a there's a big ass mission in midgar towards the end of the game i think that's where the first classes show up i did not know that at all that's amazing deep cuts deep cut yeah fuck for me at least so roche wants to fight not because he hates us not because he thinks that we should die but because we are a formidable opponent so we engage him um it's Kind of like a boss battle, not in a conventional sort of fighting sort of way, but we're fighting on this motorbike. He's got a big health bar and he's got special skills as well. He's not shooting us with guns uh, like the other folks on motorcycles were. He's got blade beam as well, which when he's when he's in front of you, he fires backwards. He can call down lightning and and you've got to weave around the, the lightning spots uh, so you don't take damage to them. He can drive right up against your motorcycle he's got a two-handed sword in his uh on his back he draws it and it flashes for a second um and that is um the player's opportunity to block because there is a there is a rising block button while you're on the motorbike and so you synthesize all of the skills that you've learned all the way up to that point you you know you do the regular attacks you do the spin skill well i guess you don't need to do the spin skill against a single target um you block and then you and then when he's far up ahead of you you can do the blade beam when you burn his health down enough we hop into a cutscene in which cloud asks jesse to grab on to the motorcycle so she's driving and all of a sudden cloud leaves off of his and lands on the i guess i'll call it the hood of Roche's motorcycle and then drives his sword deep deep into the chassis of Roche's hog and he disables it it's not able to to go at lightning speed like it has been 
said. And Roche takes it with a... He's pretty cool about it. He's like, you know what? He pulls over... <laughs> he's a responsible motorist. He pulls over to the shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I'll catch you next time. This dance isn't over. When I get this all tidied up, I'll be back, baby. Well, well, well. I do believe this round is yours. Maybe next time we can keep it just between the two of us. Maybe. Everything he says is some sort of reference to being a motorcycle or like like taking it to the red yeah. line or like my a fire burns inside of me. It, yeah. You know, like he's basically he is a motorcycle himself. <laughs> These soldier members are such adrenaline junkies. They are bred for war and combat that if that's their only reason for existing, if that if he is just a machine to be like gassed up and unleashed onto the world, it's almost like the one punch man scenario. Like no one's a challenge for him. And when he finally sees somebody who potentially is, that's like, oh, my God, let's let's go. When the adrenaline drains out of everybody, Jesse continues to flirt and even cops a feel on Cloud's chest from behind. He's kind of like, oh, but doesn't really acknowledge it. And we arrive at the Sector 7 Employee Housing District. The high energy pumping music has gone away. Things are very placid and quiet and nighttimey, and there's not much going on. It's a very peaceful night at the Sector 7 Employee Housing District. Here is where Jesse's parents live. So in order to access this Shinra Depot, we have to steal a security card from Jesse's father. And so what the plan is, is that Jesse, Biggs, and Wedge are going to spontaneously show up for pizza in the middle of the night, which mysteriously Jesse's mom is more than welcome to provide for her daughter and her friends. Meanwhile, Cloud is going to sneak around the back of the house and enter the room where they suspect the key card is in, take it, slip out, rejoin with everybody at the end of the pizza party. It's interesting because when we're sneaking in, there's a little scene with like three cats hanging out. They're all buddies. And then there's a fourth black cat on the side that stands alone. And Cloud gets this like look in his eye of like, that's me. I'm the black cat. Oh, you read some subtext into that? Oh, yeah, because the three cats moving as one. That's the, the members of Avalanche doing their thing. And the fourth cat is kind of, in my opinion, kind of looking on longingly like he wants to be a part of the group. Mm. But because he's a he's a black cat, he's bad luck. He's he's damaged goods by all superstitious rights. You know, interesting. He stands apart and. That subtext to me was, you know, we'll see it here pretty quickly. Like, just as we were talking about the Barrett onion unraveling a little bit, this is the chapter where we start to experience some of that cloud onion unraveling. So I think this is a little bit of imagery to kind of evoke the first echoes of that taking place here, of, of what we're going to start to see over the course of the rest of the chapter. Avalanche do their faint. And Cloud ascends the upper level of the house. It looks a lot like a kind of a normal house. I think I recall wood plank flooring. Jesse's in our head as Cloud walks through the upper level of the house, reminding him that he shouldn't go into one room, should go into the other, and where exactly the keycard is. To our surprise, we open the door to the room where the keycard is in, and Jesse's father is lying on a bed. In something that's like a variation of an iron lung, he's sick 
And this is kind of the first weird learning about that. And as we look around the room, we, ha- we have a chance to kind of inspect certain elements of it. Yeah, there's pictures of Jesse in the room strewn about, and she was an actor and I, I guess a singer. There's kind of a shot of her belting one out under any spotlight. Mm. And uh, she's lying to her family that she still works at the uh, Gold Saucer. And, um, you know, as as we're looking at these, you can hear the muffled sound of the crew eating pizza with uh, without me in the other room. And you know what? Kid me was right. It is because of that fucking pizza that everyone below is suffering. Huh. Everyone up top has pizza. They actually have pizza, it turns out. Yeah, they they get the pizza. You have to... You have to break through and fight a soldier member, but you get the pizza if you come up top. And it's really, really tasty. I mean, Wedge heats like an entire pie himself. Mm-hmm. On uh, Jesse's dad's uh, work, I don't know, what do you call it? Like radiation suit or something? Hazmat suit? Yeah. It says that his job was reactor maintenance supervisor. You want to know something interesting, Tyler? I want to know all the interesting things. My wife's job is reactor maintenance on a nuclear submarine mm. <laughs> so uh hopefully what she won't end up hooked up to a life support system at some point in our future here but um she is emn2 electrician's mate nuclear second class she does not have her turtleneck yet <laughs> amazing we retrieve the key card from the hazmat suit and we slip out unnoticed. And so this time I noticed to myself that Jesse is carrying the plot on her shoulders at this point. No way would I have guessed that that would be the case in Remake. But she is. She's like, this is on her. Cloud is playing to her tune. Definitely. And previously in this same recording here, I complained about how I didn't really buy the setup. But what we're getting out of it is amazing this is this is the kind of thing i want for all of our characters and to some degree we get it for each of our uh, avalanche members here throughout the course of this game is a little bit of not just not just stepping into a room and receiving exposition but being really immersed in the experience of like you went and saw her dad yourself and you see the state he's in and you see her dreams and aspirations she had before all of this started so the show don't tell rule is definitely in effect here Mm -hmm. we also get a quick glimpse of jesse's mom talking to the crew and i just have to think uh wedge is rocking a bandolier with fucking grenade shells at the dinner table and she thinks (laughs) nothing of it she's got nice friends it's a it's all for a, a show they're doing about warfare oh yeah yeah it's debuting at the gold saucer next week yeah you mentioned the gold saucer and they also said that they just were stopping by and to grab, you know, they can't stay for long, but they wanted to stop by and grab a, a couple pieces of her world famous pizza. And Wedge tries to scarf down some more, but they, they yell at him and be like, no, we really got to go. And here, here's what I'm thinking is like, if you work at Gold Saucer and you just drop by Midgar for a slice of pizza, have you ever like... um you ever just been doing your job in Dubai and you're like, you know what? My mom back in uh, Nantucket, I really could go for some muffins right now. I'm going to hop on a plane from Dubai and go home and grab some 
muffins and then leave that's what we're talking about in the scope of this world because gold saucer is halfway across the fucking planet so i don't i i'm not sure how these logistics work of hey mom you know i'm I'm just driving by home from work for a minute here unless we're gonna retcon gold saucer as like this floating utopia that flies all over the world and does performances that'd be pretty sick you know for right now gold saucer is hella far away so i'm not sure how she's really pulling off this Hey, mom, I'm just stopping home after work for a slice of pizza narrative. When we circle back to the group, Jesse uh, must have run on ahead to to use the key card. And in this moment, we have a chance to speak with Biggs and Wedge. And Biggs shares a little more context about, about what happened to Jesse's dad. The accident was actually that her dad passed out due to overwork, exhaustion. And he passed out near a... Um, Mako storage area and because nobody found him for a certain amount of time that's why he has the issues he's having and so we remember the first chapter the place we were bombing in the reactor Barrett asked us which way to Mako storage so I'm seeing a little bit of a connection there of what do we want to bomb well the the area that was directly responsible for making her dad sick potentially mm. it's Mako storage and then the other detail that i found really interesting it's another piece of that cloud onion was biggs as we we're leaving he says oh so i'm i'm sure you saw jesse's dad in there and cloud's like yep and i forget how the conversation went but essentially biggs is like you don't want to hear about this don't worry about it and cloud interjects and he says no i want to hear and that's completely unexpected from Biggs. He he would expect a cloud to like, I'm not concerned with you. I'm not attached to you. And cloud showing, no, I I'm, I'm becoming concerned. I'm becoming attached to your guys' stories and your passions and convictions. So, um, you know, I felt like that was a really simple, subtle line, but really important to kind of reframe who we've been seeing cloud up to at this point. Mm-hmm. Jesse has developed a sort of, a pseudo-spirituality theory about what her dad is going through right now. And what Vic's, God damn it. And what Biggs says is, Jesse's theory is that uh, her dad's soul could be caught up in Midgar's Mako pumping and that his soul might disappear if we don't stop Shinra. Jesse's got a theory about it. Thinks her dad's spirit is stuck now between his body and the heart of the planet. So if we don't shut down the reactors soon, he'll get caught up in the flow and poof. In that moment, We've gotten at the crux of Jesse's motivation to to fight for the planet. It isn't just for the planet, it's for her dad. And I think the subtext here is the the idea, if we go back to the themes of Original Seven and what they're going for, it's really this idea that we see ourselves in the real world, we see ourselves as separate from the world we live on at times, like I, I need resources, I need money, I need safety. So I'm gonna build these things and I'm gonna do these things and we don't consider the environment, we don't consider the world or the effects we have on others around us. And this is kind of a subtext narrative saying, whatever the, the planet's life is your life. You are entangled in it in a way that you you might not necessarily understand on the surface level, but the people who really like Jesse, who really study this stuff, they have their theories and their solutions on what's going on with the kind of the potential death of the planet here if things keep going the way they're going. Big says, don't tell Jesse about this chat. Cloud says, no promises. 
And then Wedge interjects, be serious, Cloud. She'll beat the shit out of us. He's serious, Cloud. She'll beat the shit out of us. And I just, I love that line so much. So the real gig as we arrive on the scene is to create the diversion while Jesse raids the place. And we kind of get a giant explanation of how this is all going to work out that we don't really need because that was the exact same job we had on the very first mission (laughs) was Cloud is the diversion. His job is to raise hell while the other guys slip in and do their thing. Once we slip in, we enter a a guard's guard house and they're missing. No, they're not missing. They're dead. And this brings a spell of dread over our group. And then what is it that Cloud sees that makes him flash back? Is it like a wind turbine? A wind turbine. Like something just a, a, a fan sitting on top of a building or something. Oh, we flash back. To Nibelheim, we are adolescent Cloud Antifa again. We've already talked about this scene, but only in the context of original. We are going through that scene now. We get to see the Nibelheim center square, the uh, wood water tower, and they had the same conversation underneath it. I'm going to be a soldier. Promise me you'll save me if I get into trouble. Reluctant, yes. No shooting star. Oh, no. Cut content. (laughs) Following that, we have another flashback, but not all the way to our childhood, to just yesterday, where we recall that Tifa says she feels trapped in Avalanche. Tifa doesn't like the direction that Avalanche's moral compass is turning towards. And then coming back into the present, Cloud feels compelled to save her from this conflict. It isn't a classic, I don't know... Uh, you know, snidely whiplash tied the lady to the train sort of distress. She's in a sort of spiritual distress um, where she's at odds with the best course of action in this group that she's a part of. We are spotted, or I should say that the diversion is underway. Cloud is under attack by security forces, Martian security forces, none of which are on motorcycles. First, it's an easy swarm of guards, then riot troopers with the big shields and electrical batons join the fight while other guards fire rockets down at you from an upper level meanwhile wedge is well we'll get to wedge in momentarily but i think it's biggs that has ascended to that upper level and is supposed to be strategically taking out these sniper positions while we're creating chaos on the ground in this big in this big yard there's a I think like a missile cannon that pops out of the floor and he says on it. And then a few minutes later, we get a quick cut of him just like kicking the thing over the edge. It's like, did nobody button this thing down? Is it just precariously placed up there? Either that or he's got a very powerful kick to him. If he had a special fun weapon that did a special fun thing, we probably would have known about it by now. Mm -hmm. So maybe he, (laughs) what am I getting at? Maybe he does have pretty righteous kicks. Anyways, uh, so when that scene is over, we have dogs to contend with now. They're chasing Wedge. He's kind of got this um, a silly cartoonish moment uh, to him where he's being chased by these dogs that are certainly going to rip him to pieces if they catch up with them, and they are nipping at his ass as he uh, hauls ass around the room. Nate, I'm going to eat my words a little bit here. This is a silly comic moment that I wouldn't expect to have had in remake. Now it's not an original, but it is in the spirit of those silly comic moments of original. How about that, huh? Yeah, we talked about the missing wedge ass humor and the <laughs> uh, in the post reactor bombing, but here we we got what we we're missing. We've got wedge ass humor, but he brought it on himself because he 
has a dog whistle and he blew it. He he was like, Cloud, I got this. And then proceeded to scream for his dear life. And we had to go hunt down the dogs before they got to him. The next phase, we've got sweepers to fight. I don't know if every if any other Final Fantasy fan out there sees this when I look at it, but the first thing I see when I see these things, and this is true for original as well, these are Magitek armors from Final Fantasy VI. They are two-legged mechanical walkers, and they're called sweepers, uh, but they are very similar in structure to the Magitek armor in not so much the sprite, as it appears in the game, but in the concept artwork. Really? I feel it's more like the sprite. The sprites are very boxy and like simplistic, whereas the concept art are these giant fucking dragon things. Do you know how like the, I'm going to call it the nose of both machines is kind of downward pointed? Sure. That's not what I see when I see the sprite. Okay. Yeah, the sprite to me has this, it's funny because the magic armor has three different designs, yet Canonically, they only have one design. There is the design created by Yoshitaka Amano, who is the like series-long Final Fantasy character concept artist that works in kind of cooperation with other members of the team. To they interpret his work to something a little bit more palatable to the sprites when they get interpreted into the game, but also. There's a version of the Magitek armors designed by Tetsuya Takahashi of Xenogears and Xenoblade Chronicles fame. He designed the ones that are walking in the intro scene. And then you have the ones actually used in combat who were designed by the um, game art team, the pixel art team. Mm -hmm. For me, they read as the game pixel art version, but I guess we'll agree to disagree on that one. It's fun to see them in Remake. Anyways, this is an, an enhanced level threat. And it also introduces us to the concept of an enemy foe that has multiple targets that you can select when you're dealing damage to it. In the case of the sweeper, I think it's leg A and leg B and then the body. And you're fighting two of them at a time. And I don't know how you handled this, Nate, but I was quite heroic and action-packed with this. Um, I waste the first one by generating ATB bars, by defending volleys of bullets from both, and then I expend them on a cross-slash-limit break followed by a lightning spell. This wastes one. And then I summon Ifrit to destroy the other because, well, this is our chance to, to summon Ifrit for the first time, assuming you've got it equipped. For me, this phase is over pretty fast, even though it is like a, oh my gosh, it's a next level challenge. Sure, and Biggs even warned you, do you got your summon materia equipped before you go in there? A little mm. bit of foreshadowing. But there's also a extra mechanic you may not have noticed that Wedge has these little electronic, or like electric field traps that he throws on the ground that you can lure them into. Oh. And so if you ever revisit this one on hard mode, keep an eye out for those because you might not be able to just body them the same way you did this time around. Cool. We're completely surrounded by troops. Troops that I know I could all one-shot and AoE and do Punisher counterattacks to absolutely shred. But in the cutscene, we are saved by none other than Roche. Hell yeah. he rides... Over the walls, over the facility walls, screaming, hollering, hooting. And he's got his sword up high up in the air like he's like cavalry coming down the mountain, mm -hmm. <laughs> laughing like like a madman. You mentioned that sword earlier. I'll point out, same sword that your 
main hero of crisis core will have equipped at the beginning of the game as a fellow soldier member so this uh no shit this weapon is standard issue hmm i have to go back and play my crisis core don't i if you feel like it, it's definitely it feels a lot better to play than it did before it's getting louder and louder in the conversation and part of me is like i think i'm going to be able to do this season better if i did maybe oh shit i'm halfway through near though Let's keep her moving. Let's keep moving. So Roche steps in and the troops know well enough. Like I said earlier, those guys on the bikes were scared of him, but it seems like this guy is well known within the company. You keep your distance when he shows up. You do not get in between him and his passions. And uh, he, he wants to throw down with just cloud. You know what I want. A second dance. Just the two of us. And this is his opportunity. He gets off the bike. He doesn't want to go on another bike ride. He's mono mono with uh with Cloud. He's got a mega elixir in his pocket and he lays it on us. Yeah. And this is a uh, big Goku energy. I don't know if you know what that means. It's the thrill of battle being all that matters. So for instance, on several occasions in Dragon Ball Z, Goku has given his enemies a healing sensu bean during battle and what that is is it's a it's like a little uh, jelly bean grown by god oh my god in his floating utopia over the earth they throw about a dozen of those in a bag and it will fully heal you restore your energy bring you up to absolutely a hundred percent if you just uh crunch down on that bean hey cell sensu hmm? bean no what why what I'm just playing fair. It's a pretty convenient plot device throughout all of Dragon Ball Z. And uh, Goku is straight up giving it to his enemies because he wants to battle them when they're at their very best, not when they might be at a disadvantage or exhausted from the other team members. He wants to push them to their absolute limits and know that he won fair and square. Even when the person is threatening to blow up your planet and kill everybody you care about, <laughs> the right answer for Goku is still, well, I got to beat him fair and square. Who cares if the universe hangs in the balance? It's all about the fight. And so that's where we're getting here. Yeah, it is a one-on-one mm -hmm. and it's, it's a thrilling fight. He's fast. He has melee attacks. He casts blizzard. He can be easily avoided if you're not prone or recovering when a missile is coming at you. Oh, he's got Thundaga too. Pretty strong and pretty unavoidable, I noticed. And that's what phase one is like. Phase two, he has some dashing strikes that he can do with you. Uh, elemental melee skills. Nate, it is fun to see a soldier versus soldier fight in the Final Fantasy VII verse. And again, I have to acknowledge that I didn't play Crisis Core. I'm sure a lot of that happens. There. All I got to say is Punisher mode and countering is your best friend on this guy. Oh, yeah. He, he telegraphs his shit hard. <laughs> so if you're set up for it counter away put him into a uh, stagger two or three times i think in order to beat him mm -hmm. cloud spares him he does not kill him and he asks are you satisfied i wonder if there's like a there's a kinship here of cloud knows this guy isn't gonna hunt me down he's not gonna kill me in my sleep he's not gonna murder my friends all he cares about is this fight and if he did any of that he would risk endangering me engaging in this dance with him again so it's almost better to just let him do his thing in a way than to antagonize shinra any more than he needs to by maybe putting down a soldier member maybe that's a line too far where 
you know, blowing up a reactor is one thing, but the heat we would get from killing a soldier member, fuck. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder what Cloud's reason is for... Maybe he's just feeling a little bit uh, merciful and kind after uh, having his Jesse moment. I wonder what Roche would do if he ran into Sephiroth. So uh, Roche says that he'll never be satisfied with such fleeting pleasure. And I don't know what his end game is other than to maybe just die having a battle orgasm or something. I don't know. But uh, he hops back on his bike, which is apparently fixed now. He did some uh, repair in the <laughs> midst of this mission. And uh, he uses it to just drop kick all of the mechs encroaching on us, all of the uh, Magitech armors riding in. And uh, again, using the bike as a weapon itself, just smashing it into things and then riding off. Hooten, hollering, living the dream. Uh, he's a cowboy, baby. Absolutely. After he leaves, we are under attack by even more security forces. We're feeling overwhelmed, and <laughs> and we get a hell of a left turn here. We are saved by a rebel army from which Avalanche is a splinter cell. Um, a bunch of people in like mustard yellow colored outfits, like descend, like descend on repelling ropes uh, that just arrived serendipitously, and engage in an, an actual firefight with all of these other security forces, which gives us some cover to leave, but. Cloud's head is spinning about what's going on, so's mine, and what Biggs quickly fills us in about, <laughs> it is such a horse pill to swallow, is that these guys are a military group allied with Wu Tai. Wu Tai has been in a civil war with uh, Midgar for some time. Is it civil? It's not a civil war, it'd be a foreign entity, right? Sure, yeah, no, it's not a civil war. It's a, it's a proper war. It's essentially America versus Japan. Another avalanche cell. Our holier-than-thou friends from the old guard. <laughs> it's always their way of the highway. Lately, they've been a real pain in the ass. We've been on the outs ever since our cell got labeled too extreme. Though they're the ones running around with mil-spec gear. Word is, they cut a deal with Wu-Tai. Promised them all the materia in Midgar, apparently. Of course this isn't an original. None of this is an original. But we've introduced some lore in Remake that my brain is trying to reconcile with original. And that, okay... Well, when I go to Wu-Tai and Original, it's under occupation, and they don't, their security force is kind of neutered, kind of like it was at the end of World War II. Sure. Or after the end of World War II. Now, there's a few things happening here that I can kind of crack open for you, if you like. Yeah, please. First off, these guys do not look like the the ragtag unit that we Avalanche members are. They've got a coordinated outfits of tan camo balaclavas and berets on and uh they when they bail us out they say your team shouldn't be here and you know as you mentioned we're kind of the more extreme version of avalanche than these guys so i wonder if these guys are a little bit more in line with tifa hmm. you know not as violent not as uh revolutionary agitation of the status quo and Midgar in their operations of like, we're going to slow down supply lines. We're going to turn off the AC for a day, <laughs> like whatever. Well, they're engaging in a proper firefight. Uh, these guys, I think, I don't know. I kind of wonder if this is a translation issue because what I'm seeing right now is like, is a surprise fight. But what we're doing is like surgical bombing missions. And I'm not so sure that like, engaging in like open warfare is any more like radical than surgical bombing yeah and these guys look extreme as well according to what the game says barrett is the one who is too extreme for these guys 
Mm. Barrett's on the outs because he's going harder than anyone else was willing to. That's that's what we heard. Now, what I will say is there is a Final Fantasy phone game that I did not play. And I don't even know if in America we ever had access to. Obviously, there's like translations and things you could look up. You can probably look up the script online. Maybe I'll do that sometime. But for right now, I know that game focused on being a member of the Turks and you were hunting down avalanche cells at some point in there, if I remember correctly. And then a couple of those details and a couple of those characters also made their way into Crisis Core as well. So this isn't a complete asshole for the sake of remake. There is a little bit of ground laid by compilation of Final Fantasy VII that Barrett isn't the only leader of what avalanche is and then lastly this game we'll discover this later so i'm not going to spoil it but they're also using this to tug on the slightest tiniest little detail from og that i will mention later uh when we get there but i'm going to lay the groundwork here just so we remember to come back to it it isn't our fault the you're talking about before crisis i'm sure uh, that before crisis didn't come out in america Mm -hmm. I feel thankful that we're able to comment on it despite that. So sure. Good on you. Um, and then lastly, the, the little mention of like the Wu Tai, uh, like dissidents helping out avalanche. I haven't actually played it, but <clears throat> we do know that there's some element of that in our DLC for this game and the integrate, uh, version. Yeah. So we'll get to that later. We'll cover that. But I feel like Biggs was kind of laying the groundwork for that a little bit as well to let us know. Hey, there's there's some other uh, there's some people you might meet later. Can't wait to get into it. Too bad they're all not wearing Moogle mascot ponchos. It's a fun reference because uh, the the Moogles in Final Fantasy VI were the ones responsible for like helping the resistance out and rescuing Terra. So Mog Mog's a badass. He's a freedom fighter. He is a badass. It's a magical berserker. It's awesome. Right. So in the confusion, we slip out of there unharmed, not totally unharmed, actually. Uh, Jess Wedge got his ass nibbled or singed or something like that. We get more Wedge ass humor. (laughs) He got his ass bit, but now he's talking about that he got his ass (laughs) shot, too. So we've got. We've got maybe both cheeks have uh, received an incursion of some kind. His ass is having a really bad day. Jesse just straight up moons him, takes a look and says, your ass is fine. And then gives him a loud <laughs> spanking. Spanking suggests she does it more than once. And tells him to walk it off. And <laughs> it's She slaps him once. You guys are the worst. Your ass is fine. Maybe singed, but the only casualty is your underwear. This is like a bruise or a mild burn at worst. Yeah, I guess it's one slap. I mean, you can you can spank someone. You can do a, a singular spanking, right? Yes. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to get composed again. Yeah, you're good. Um, there's just something on this moment. Uh, Jesse's attraction level like went up a few points in this scene. How so? Spanking a dude's ass. Spanging a dude's ass, and he didn't deserve it. His ass is injured, and she slapped him anyways because tough. We escape to a maintenance platform under the plate where Jesse unboxes some parachutes, but there's only two. Cloud and Wedge are shoot buddies. Wouldn't it make sense for Jesse and Wedge to pair up the heaviest and lightest member? (laughs) But no, we get Wedge on our back. 
Or no, we're on Wedge, Wedge's back, actually. We're probably on Wedge's back, because if we have a parachute failure, we're probably going to die. <laughs> I don't think they crossed their minds, if we're being honest. No, probably not. I mean, you're falling. It isn't just that you're being crushed by another man, but, you know. We get the delightful line, uh, Hey, why are you being such a hard-ass bro from Wedge about ushering him off the ledge? And Cloud says, I'm not your bro. Give me a minute! No. Why you have to be such a hard-ass bro? I ain't your bro. Oh, yeah. He's definitely perturbed by the bro. Spicy take. Maybe if you had a harder-ass wedge, you wouldn't have these issues. <laughs> wedge is throwing stones. So, uh, Jesse had a clever way to get back down to the slums. The question was maybe it would be the train or idle till morning motorcycles uh, but her idea is to parachute down and so we do it's thrilling and it's fun and we get grand views of the greater slum area as we descend the music during the sequence is super dorky and wonderful there's like some classic guitar squeals and driving synths straight out of the 80s or early 90s it kind of fits the vibe of the entire sequence being this like cheesy over the top action heist that you would see in a classic action movie where it's like in reality there's no way these four people would ever be able to survive multiple assaults by full-on armies but they somehow manage to squeak through you know when we descend we part ways with wedge he shows us his kitties and he's got three of them and when he puts them in cloud's face one of them like paws at him i think mm -hmm. there's biggie Reggie and Smalls. And I'm wondering, is this a notorious B.I.G. reference? Maybe. I don't know who Reggie is. Isn't Redman from Wu-Tang <laughs> named Reggie? But uh, Biggie Smalls know. is famously a nickname for uh, notorious B.I.G., the rapper. East, He was East Coast, right? And Tupac was West Coast. Am I remembering that correctly? They, they, had, they had their whole feud and all that. Maybe Wedge is the the biggie, the notorious B.I.G. of the slums. He's a big boy. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Wedge also relents the cloud. That, uh, he he kind of says in a melancholy tone that he's sorry he wasn't much help. And Cloud shot back and he said, no, you took one for the team. And uh, it kind of just reminds me here, again, the onion opening up. Cloud is a good dude at heart. And... Uh, He's making that connection. It's it's a stark contrast between how he reacted to Wedge in the very first chapter when Wedge is like, hey, you know, you're not all bad, right? And Cloud's just like, uh, Kiyomina, <laughs> the, the not interested. And so, yeah, big shift here in this chapter for multiple characters' relationship to Cloud. Jesse invites us to swing by her place after so I can pay you in full. In quotes. Swing by my place after. So I can pay you in full. Are we in love with Jesse Raspberry in this moment? She knows she's crossing Cloud's line and she's detecting that he likes it. She's putting the squeeze on him here. And Cloud can't completely hide that he's flattered. Mm, I don't know. Uh, you read that differently? Well, so when we get down to the ground level, when we get to Jesse's house, she says, you know, um, hey, Come see me tomorrow night. And she says, my roommates will all be out. And Cloud instantly shoots back. Are you seriously that desperate? And um, then there's a prompt where they just 
stand there staring at each other in the eyes longingly and you have the option to answer no promises or not happening and with the lack of like assured positive affirmation there i'm getting the feeling that cloud isn't into it but you're having the option to be nice about it or just directly shut her down but isn't there some teasing in the subtext of saying something like no promises well yeah i i'm not i don't know the thing that just immediately crosses my mind is dude you have a date with tifa tomorrow night (laughs) there's no way you say yes right losing shadow tifa points if we say no promises definitely Okay, I thought there was a little kind of wink and a nod with the no promises prompt. I'd have to rewatch it, but yeah, you're. if you feel that way, you might be right. I think he's flattered because, well, right now, Jesse is telling Cloud that he's become who he set out to be in that flashback with Tifa. He's a soldier, brave, strong, deadly, courageous. I think he's feeding off of that. And I did both dialogues. If you say no promises, she she says she's going to cook you that famous pizza that he missed out on up top. Mm -hmm. If you say not happening, then she finally reacts with like, okay, I've been coming on way too strong time to switch it up. I guess, (laughs) you know, like she openly admits like everything she's done up to this point has not cracked the uh, cloud thirst trap. Mm -hmm. She's going to have to go back to the drawing board. So, yep. As we've wrapped up this nighttime mission, uh, we met with Jesse, we met with wedge, we can stop and see what Biggs is doing. He's worrying about the mission tomorrow. He's going it, to, it's his role to go ahead and kind of set up things for our team on the next mission. So he's going to have to get up bright and early and he's, he's worrying himself sick and Cloud tells him to just chill, calm down. We get another instance of Biggs kind of taking notice that Cloud is changing. He's warming up and he's getting connected to the team because He's seeing that engagement. And so uh, with that, we've kind of met everybody. We're heading back to our apartment to get some rest. And I think that's a good spot to kind of take a break here. So we'll circle back next time with picking up where we are here to wrap up the final scenes of chapter four. And then we'll, we will get as far as we can get in chapter five. We're going to blow shit up. Yeah. Eventually. Thanks for listening, gang. The Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast is a production of Gunblade Guys. That's us, Tyler and Nate. Think about liking us, subscribing to us, five-starring us, writing a review about us, and telling a fellow game liker about us, too. You can find us on YouTube and Twitch as Gunblade Guys. You can also join us on Discord with a link you can find in our podcast description. And also in that paragraph is a opportunity to tip us if you please. And whatever you do, do not email us at gunbladeguys at gmail.com. Stop it already. I am a... I'm having a good old time on our Discord. We we got a few people chatting now, so if you want to be in on this sweet daily chat action with us, stop by. They're probably a lot like you. All right, Tyler Nate, out. Peace out. Shot. Move you over here. Shot my love today. Shot. I shot my love today. Would you cry for me?
We've made this joke before. <laughs> Have we? Yes. I, no. I'm not sure what, jo what joke. I'm not even sure. I've, what I've done the about. exact same thing. I've said shoot and then, or you said shot and then I said shot my love. Oh. And I think you saying it. Well, the first time you did it, it blew over my head. Yeah. I, no, I think this was like early on in Xenoblade and oh. potentially the exact same progression of events happened. <laughs> Lastly, the thing I'll say about this, not to go on too long, is um, for me personally, this is the first time that a Street Fighter game, in playing the main game, the World Tour mode is just goofy and fun for extra side content. But playing the main game, playing with people, playing the arcade mode, this is for me the first time that the game deserves the title of Street Fighter. Since Street Fighter 3 of like 1997, 1998, mm -hmm. I played 4 and it was fun and I had a good time, but it just fizzled out and I never really returned to it after I kind of um, sucked down all its content. I played five, which eventually got better and got more content, but launched in an absolutely dog shit, horrific state. And I was just completely disappointed in four and five. Whereas I still play two and three to this day and alpha games as well. I will boot those up and play those as if, like they're forever games for me. They're, they will never not be playable. And I don't know, maybe this will shake down differently over time, but right now I'm feeling the same way about Street Fighter 6. So this might be long. So if you want to cut this down and or put it at the end instead, like, or or like I could say, here, I'll, I'll do this. I'll record this right now and then you can use it if you if you feel the need to. I have sure. a lot to say about Street Fighter, Tyler, but I don't want to go on too long, so... I'm literally having difficulty controlling myself. Wow. <laughs> um, and uh, it's making me intolerable around my wife <laughs> as well. Sure, I just want to say, the only real celebrity dream I can remember ever having it oh. is that I was hanging out in a hot tub with Jeff Bridges. After <laughs> after I had met him on, after I had met him when visiting the Ellen show, he, yeah, you sure this in another outtake? I did. Okay. Yeah, you okay. did. And then I mentioned uh, another thing. Okay. That's really funny though. Yeah. All right. Well, that's your only celebrity dream. I, it's the only one I can really register. And I'm not even like I'm not a huge like he's the dude. Yeah, sure. But I'm like not. Oh, Jeff Bridges stand. So I I don't know where that comes from. But yeah, let's throw this in the outtakes. You know, if we've got some new people, they can they can be brought in on the Jeff Bridges journey. Dude. I, I dreamed I met all of the Sailor Moons. <laughs> I wasn't even into Sailor Moon. I think I watched one episode when I was like eight and it and it, <laughs> something awoke inside of me i still haven't seen another episode i think i saw the pilot one more time but not in like a in this dirty way that i'm kind of suggesting and it wasn't a dirty dream either mm. but i did meet them in a dream yeah so uh if you if you want to keep all that in and then say that no you can correct me i'm not ashamed of that where we complete a certain amount of wave of enemies where we take out a certain amount of waves of enemies uh, where we take out a certain amount of waves of enemies does that make sense Sweet. Nate, hey, I have uh, to pee. Can... I have to I have to split yes. real quick.
What were you gonna say? I was actually gonna. I was gonna say, can we stop recording? Because I'm getting alerts that I'm dropping frames, so I have to look into this. So now, if you're sh- if you're a senior, Biggs shares a little more context about what happened to Jesse's dad. What happened to <laughs> about what happened to Jesse's dad? And just sub. Oh, go ahead. No, no, I, I need to be rescued. Get me out of here. Oh, I missed the line. Hey, can I? Sorry. Sorry, editing lord. I have another interjection. Mm-hmm. Walk it off, you, you pussy. <laughs> no, don't use it. Walk it off, you pansy.